Alright, we're back with more of the Pile Drivers Podcast. And I'm finishing my list of the top 20 wrestlers of the 1980s. I was going to do it all in kayfabe, and I realized what a giant chore that was, so I just kind of said, ass, fuck that idea. The first half can be, yeah, but the second half, eh, not so much. I'm just going to more fly with it, because I still got my list, and I just, man, that, that that's too much. I just didn't feel like doing it. Anyway, the uh, number 15 for me is the the original Rock, Don Morocco. Uh, from 81 to the 88, he did have a pretty good career. A lot of people forget that. They, they look at him in the Hall of Fame and go, why is he there? From 81 to 88, he was a big-time heel. He was a, he was a big deal. And uh, he was the first king of the ring. He was a, you know, all-time true great. You know, the Rock, Don Morocco, he was a big guy, huge build. You know, and he was a, you know, he could, a credible villain. And he was an all-around good and heelish asshole. And I've always appreciated The Rock. So the original Rock. So more with the Rasters of the 1980s coming up. All right, for me, number 14 of the top Rasters of the 1980s. That's a, at the, number 14 has to be Big John Studd. He had the body slam talent that nobody could body slam him for a while. That was the uh, thing. He, he ran that gimmick for a long time. He probably made a lot of money doing that. He had some notable rivals with Andre the Giant was his most notable, and he was the one who won the Body Slam Challenge, Andre, at, I believe it was WrestleMania 1 or 2, 2, I think, because 3 was him and Hogan, but uh, I think it was 1, 1, no, it was 2, somewhere around there, somewhere around 1 and 2 that that whole thing took place, I can't remember right off the top of my head, and uh, he had some, he had a notable rivalry with Hogan, you know, back when Hogan was still wearing the white trunks and all that shit. But he was a big star, big name, and uh, he deserves more credit than he gets. And uh, he was one, number 14, uh, Big John Studd, that, you know, the top 20 wrestlers of the 1980s. Alright, number 13 on the top 20 wrestlers of the 1980s. For me, number 13, Pedro Morales. For those of you who don't know, he was the first WWE true Triple Crown winner, not fucking John Michaels. Anyway, but Pedro Morales, he was a good babyface, and uh, he was... One of those who kind of got forgotten about but shouldn't and who was a big deal. Could have been a bigger deal. He did some things before WWE. But I, I've, I've always had a lot of respect for Pedro Morales. And I've always kind of liked the good baby face appeal that he had. I understood what they were going for. And that's why he's number 13 on my list of top 20 wrestlers of the 1980s. Just a good baby face all around. Baby face, you know, good guy. That was the true first WWE Triple Crown winner. So it isn't Shawn Michaels. Can't express that enough. Alright, number 12 on, the, uh, on my list of the top 20 wrestlers of the 1980s. We have the Midnight Express uh, with Dennis Condry and Beautiful Bobby with their manager Jim Cornette. But uh, Dennis Condry and Beautiful Bobby were two heels. They were good, they were good workers. They would, they, you know, they'd make you hate them. And the mouthpiece, of course, was uh, <laughs> the wonderful uh, Jim Cornette. If you've never heard him on the mouthpiece, please pick up something and listen to any rant that he's been on. And you'll kind of understand why Jim Cornette was their mouthpiece. And... He turned red while he was talking in the suits he'd wear with his tennis racket. and They were, they were good, hateable heels, and any tag team ever that beat them up were instant superstars. So that's why they're number 12 on my list of the top 20 wrestlers of the 1980s. Number 11 of my top 20 superstars of the 1980s, and that's going to be the ravishing one himself, ravishing Rick Rude. Only, but it's only because what a hateable heel he was. He didn't have to really have a championship or a title. It's just once he truly became, rather, he wrestled as Rick Rude before he became Ravishing Rick Rude. But once he did, he was kind of the chiseled guy that would, big muscle dude that would flirt with your girlfriend. And honestly, he would call you just some kind of flabby, you know, out of shape people. And he would call attention upon himself while he flexes. And he, and he was just a hateable guy, another guy. If you wanted to make a star, have him beat up Ravishing Rick Rude. They're an instant megastar. And... 
He was uh, he was also always in the ring. He was good. He he, he looked believable, and he uh, he could work all around. Good worker, and most importantly, he was one of the most hateable guys in the business. And if you needed a star to be made, send him Ravishing Rick Rude's way. So that's why he's number eleven on my top twenty superstars of the nineteen eighties. All right, number ten on my top uh, wrestlers of the nineteen eighties have to be the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Only once again another hateable heel, but. Who doesn't hate an arrogant rich person? Only everybody. And he came out, and I remember he would do the ball thing where the kid would bounce the ball, and he said, you bounce it 13 times, I'll give you like 500 bucks. And the kid on his uh, 12th bounce, uh, he'd kick it and be like, ha, 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 ha. And then he'd look at him and go, do you want the money? He'd say yes. And he'd laugh in his face and go, oh, that's what it feels like to want. <laughs> How could you not root for a guy like that to get his ass kicked? And come on, the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase is easy, easily one of the greatest heels of the 1980s. I hated him when I was a kid, and it wasn't until I became an adult I realized how genius of a character he was. So, number 10 on my list of wrestlers from the 1980s would be the best wrestlers of the 1980s, the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. For me, number 9 on my greatest wrestlers of the 1980s had to be my all-time favorite wrestler. I, I can, you know, differentiate the difference between my favorite and who are the best. So, but at, at, uh, a strong number nine is my favorite, Terry Funk, the Funker himself. It's because even before he became middle-aged and crazy, he was a damn good ring technician. He was a good brawler. He'd bleed. It looked like a fight. It looked like a competition, and that's saying something. And it was pretty violent then. Trust me, he was violent before he got hardcore. I can promise you that. And then once he got hardcore, it just only God. And it worked because it was Terry Funk. I don't know. Like him and Mick Foley could do the hardcore stuff, and it worked. If anybody else did it, it just looked stupid. I don't know why that is for me. Terry Funk does hardcore things. He can do all this crazy crap that other people do. I say, oh, God, that's just fucking stupid. But if Terry Funk does it, it seems to work. I don't know why. But number nine, Terry Funk on my list of greatest wrestlers of the 1980s. Number eight on my greatest wrestlers of the... Top 20 greatest wrestlers of the 1980s. Number 8 would have to be Jake the Snake Roberts. Another one of my all-time favorites, but this is his uh, demons behind the scenes. Didn't really let him get to the full, you know, the full stature he could have been, but his promo skills were just out of this world. He had the DDT, and the way he led up to that DDT would just pop the roof off the place. And, they were just, and it looked like a move that just killed somebody, because it probably really could if you did it to somebody. But And he had the snake with him, and this is promos. Go back and watch any Jack the Snake promo, and it puts anything anybody does now to absolute and total shame. There's no, no even in New Japan, there's nobody now who can cut a promo just as vivid and as great and as bone-chilling as Jack the Snake Roberts. And that's why he's number, you know, he's up there at number eight of the greatest of all time, wrestlers of all time, top 20 of the 1980s for me. Number seven of my greatest wrestlers is top 20 of the greatest wrestlers of the 1980s. Number seven, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, another personal favorite of mine. Uh, just the high flying skills, he had the technical skills. You know, he had the whole karate kid meets kind of Lou Kane look going on, and uh, and it seemed to work. And uh, he had to come out with the karate gi, but he was also a great baby face, and you always had to root for him. And he would hit the arm drags, and he had pretty good promo skills. I mean, he'd get fired up and. And when, I don't know, there's something about Ricky the Dragon Steamboat just shined through as believable as just a good guy and just a good competitor. And it was like, I don't know, it was the greatest mixture, like I said earlier, of the, of the Karate Kid meets Luke Kane meets Magnum TA. It was a very strange mixture, but it seemed to work very well for uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And I can't say enough great things about him. So that's why he's number seven on my greatest wrestlers of the 1980s in the top 20. Falling in at number seven.
Saiyan dude ahead of his time. It was just jaw dropping of things when he came out and painted half of his body a certain color, or he would hit Jimmy Snooker with a coconut, or the things he would say, or he'd kick Cinder Lopper in the head. With just nobody, they try to pawn off Dean Ambrose. To me, he is a cheap, watered down version of Roddy Roddy Piper. There will never be another one. And he was a great technical wrestler if you watch him in the NWA before he went to WWE. That he became more of a kind of a brawler type when he got the you know WWE or WWF back then. But man, the hot rod—he was just rowdy before rowdy was cool. That's the only way that you just watch any you know anything involving rowdy Roddy Piper. I believed in you thought it was legitimate, and you just were entertained the entire time. Only there will only always ever be one rowdy Roddy Piper. So he falls in at number six of the best wrestlers of the 1980s. Number five of the great for me, and number five on the top 20 greatest wrestlers of the 1980s has to go to the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Before he became the Macho Man, he was the Macho King. He came out with the, you know, the, the crown on, and he kind of had this flamboyant look, and the voice, I can't even try to attempt to talk like Randy Savage. Just go listen. He has one of the most bizarre, yet, I don't know, easily recognizable voices in all of professional wrestling. But he would do the elbow drop from the top rope, and back then, I mean, he would fly with it. Even today, nobody can do an elbow drop the way that he did it. It's just people have tried. that They failed. They can't do it the way he did it. Then he became the Macho Man Randy Savage later on. We had the hat, the sunglasses, and he snapped into Slim Jims. And just, he was just so out there and so different. I've never seen any other wrestler ever look or, and, or gain my attention the way that Macho Man Randy Savage did. That's why he's number five on my top 20 wrestlers of the 1980s. Alright, number four, the greatest wrestler of the 1980s. I have to go with, I put them all in one because I didn't, I only have 20 here, it's a horseman. And I'm speaking of Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson, and Ole Anderson. Respectively and, you know, individually, they're all great. Uh, you have the Andersons as the, the Arn and Ole Anderson were the, you know, the tag team guys. And then you had the uh, singles guy of Tully Blanchard who would get the United States Championship, things like that. But man, they were, they were great together. Just they were the four horsemen, they ran just about everything, everywhere they went. The Andersons were a good, hateable heel tag team. Ole is just an asshole in real life, so it kind of helped him be a heel. Arn Anderson, one of the greatest workers of all time. Watch any Arn Anderson match, and it, it's, I mean, it, it beats stuff people do today. I'm sorry, it's just he is a great worker. He made it look like a legitimate competition in his spine buster. His, you know, his spine buster lives on, and he used to do the T2, but I most remember him for that hellacious spine buster he had. Magnum. T.A. was a fantastic worker, a great guy. I think a born-again Christian now. But anyway, number four on my list of top 20 wrestlers of the 1980s goes to the Horseman. Who else? All right, number three of my uh, greatest wrestlers of the top 20 of the 1980s would probably be number three is Ric Flair, the Nature Boy. And if you don't know who the Nature Boy Ric Flair is and you're a wrestling fan, cut off the fucking podcast now. Quit watching wrestling. Because, good Lord, I mean, just the, he had more championships than anybody. They, they say 16, probably more like 25, you know, probably more of that number, and he never got old, he never got stale. He was the William Dillenstein of profiling, limousine riding, nature boy, Ric Flair, good good guy or bad guy. As a bad guy, he was a cowardly chicken shit heel that would take shortcuts and cheat, and the way he'd take bumps and fall, nobody else could do it and can do it that way to this day. And then as, as a, you know, perseverant babyface, he was the guy who could take the beating, but he had enough technical ability to, you know, outsmart and outwit and, you know, just outlast most of his competition, and he would be bleeding buckets of blood, and he was believable in his promos where he was super epic, and he was in your face, and he flaunted his wealth, and he had a damn good time doing it. So number three of who else would it be? The Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Get the fuck out of here. It's Ric Flair. All right, number two of my top wrestlers of the 1980s. 
the top 20 wrestlers of the 1980s, the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, come on. I mean, they, they as a tag team, they made more money than most single competitors did. And they'd shoot through the ring, and they would just beat the living shit out of whoever was in front of them because they didn't get up anymore, and they were so stiff. They were so mean-looking. They had the face paint. Later on, they had, the, you know, the shoulder pads. I'm talking more AWA version in the 80s of the Road Warriors. And they were meaner then than they were in the WWF. I mean, my God, they beat the shit out of people in the stiff clotheslines and just they they would just tear people apart on the interviews and in the ring out of the ring they didn't care and they just looked these two wild just uncontrollable fucking heathens that paint their faces and beat the crap out of everybody and they were such badasses even though they were tried they were originally put over his heels you had to cheer for them because you can't boo two guys who walk in and clean house like badasses you can't boo them so that's why your number two of the top 20 wrestlers in the 1980s hawking animal the fucking legion of doom come on they set the bar not to be fucked with Alright, number one of the top 20 wrestlers of the 1980s for me, maybe a shock to most people, but Andre the Giant, only because, don't look at the WWF version of Andre, even though he became a pop culture icon in the 80s through his association with the WWF, look more in the, go to the Japanese stuff, to the, uh, uh, not New Japan, good lord, it was called something else then, can't remember what it was, uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling, that's what it was, look there with Andre the Giant, when he comes through the crowd, and they, they just separate, and they just run, and he was billed at 7 foot 4, 520 pounds, and he could throw drop kicks, he could do things the way he would wrestle, and, and he looked like a giant, because he had the, uh, he had a gigantism, which is a disease that makes you just grow till you die from it, and he looked, the hands, the feet, he looked like a giant, and he was billed as a giant, he acted like a giant. Watch the Jap the, you know, the Japanese version where there's a bellow of a scream over the intercom and then his theme hits. Then the crowd that's like part in the Red Sea and out comes this big giant that dominated everybody. Of course he was number one. He was Andre the fucking giant. Nobody, no other wrestler ever was billed to be as big or as great or as formidable as Andre the Giant was. So that's that's it. That's my list of the top twenty wrestlers of the nineteen eighties. And that's it, that's the top twenty wrestlers of the nineteen eighties. Uh Oh, I couldn't keep it all kayfabe, sorry about that, guys, but if you grew my list, you know, good. If you don't, I mean, everybody's list is different, but uh, for me, number one had to be Andre, just for obvious reasons, just, I mean, come on, there's not a bigger, you know, there's not a bigger icon in wrestling than Andre the Giant for me. A lot of people say Hogan or even Ric Flair, but they would be, you know, two or three maybe, and I didn't put Hogan on the list, because I thought the Road Warriors just in AWA work, and to me, as, to me, when I watched them, they were just better to me, and they just meant more, but, uh, Andre, I mean, come on, he, he was the professional wrestler, he was the number one, you know, he's been mimicked in comic books and video games and movies, and he became a pop culture icon, and he transcended outside the world of professional wrestling, Hogan did too, but Andre, I, I don't know, there's something more of a mystique factor around him, but thanks for listening, this is the Pile Drivers Podcast, and I, I'll see you next time.